Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the World Football Index South American Football Show. I'm your host, Austin Miller, here in Chicago. Great panel on the show tonight. We will be breaking down the lone Libertadores match this week, as well as taking a look at a few other continental competitions down in South America. Before we have a bit of a look at some of the domestic leagues on the continent, um, both Chile and Ecuador are in exciting stages, uh, and I will give you a bit of a Brazilian league preview which mercifully kicks off this weekend at the end of the State Leagues. But let's take a look at this week's panel. We'll start, as we always do, with Adam Brandon down in Chile. Adam, you, Adam, how are you this evening? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Austin. Looking forward to chatting about South American football tonight with you guys. Um, I felt it was time to do a pod to update the people on what's happening around the continent outside of the Libertadores. Tonight was a very busy night just around the continent with there was Libertadores action, there was the Recopa, uh, there was the Sulamericana action uh, in Brazil. We had some Copa do Brazil action. A lot going on this evening, so I agree with your decision. A good time to kind of catch everything up, especially domestically, which is a place that we really don't get a chance to look a lot at because we do focus so much on Libertadores. We'll move next to a man who likes himself a number 10 in Medellin, Colombia. It's Simon Edwards. Simon, how are you this evening? Yeah, I'm good. Don't, don't pigeonhole me. I'm, I'm not that one dimensional. I, I, you know, I have appreciation for all kinds of playmakers, whether it be deep flying playmakers, advanced playmakers. <laughs> um, yeah, and no, I'm good. Good. Enjoying, uh, Medellin as always. Uh, was at Medellin, Independiente Medellin last weekend, watching some national tonight. So, enjoying football down here in Colombia. A fantastic pod that you did. We'll get a chance to talk about that a bit more later. But Simon, if we're being honest, if you had to only pick one, it would be a number 10, right? Yeah, yeah. of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, there's a reason, especially here in Colombia um, and often elsewhere in South America, the number 10 is often the most technical, the most creative player. And that's, that's what I appreciate. So yeah, I'm a big fan of, of a good number 10. So it is almost a little bit fair to pigeonhole you, I would say. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> let's, not, let's not make it a cliche. Sounds good. Sounds good. We'll keep that on the down low. Uh, and finally, on this week's show in Ecuador, Javi is joining us once again. Javi, hope you are doing well. I'm doing fine. Just recovering from uh, a light sickness, but um, I'm back on my feet and ready to discuss some football. Excited to have you on, and Javi, I will stick with you as we head to our first topic of discussion tonight, and that is the only match in the Copa Libertadores this week. Emelec went to Buenos Aires and played a River Plate squad that it appeared had an eye or two on a Super Classico that they have coming up this weekend. It was a weekend 11 for River Plate. It finished 1-1. Javi, what were your thoughts on this match? All in all, a pretty good result for Emelec, no? Well, getting a point in Argentina, that's definitely a great result, unless you actually uh, watch the game and analyze the setting of the game. Like like you mentioned, River actually had their eyes on a different game. So it was a golden opportunity for Emelec to recover the points that they didn't get against Melgar in the first in the first match of the group. I just have one like simple question. If you're a fullback and you are under pressure, how hard is just to clear the ball out? Like, there's no need to complicate stuff for everybody. And then, like, I'm just frustrated of how we let points go to River one more time. Like, we had the chance to get more points and we didn't. Uh, 
so frustrating. But still, like you said, it's a valuable point in Argentina, and we still are still alive. And and Emelec looks like they will fight to get to that second spot. Still doable. Still doable, indeed. That leaves them on four points through their four matches played. Two back of Independiente Medellin, who are in second. Emelec go to Medellin next Tuesday. Javi, that could be the match that decides who comes out of this group in second place. That's a big one, and it's going to be tough on the road against the Medellin side that seems to kind of, at least in this competition, be finding their form. Yeah, and that's that's not good news for Emelec because it's a, it's a most win for them, right? Like, I agree with you, that's where... Emelec plays their chance to get to that second spot, and that's a must win. Uh, fortunately, Emelec is still working some of their problems. Like defense looks a little better, at least since they, we went. Uh, Emelec went to the three-man defense. They still have some issues up front, and with Mar- Marlon De Jesus, like their top scorer, that it's injured right now. Scoring goals is a little trickier for Emelec right now, but um. But still doable. Like, it's going to be a great game. Like, Emelec is going to go there and try to f- get that result. And Dean won't be an easy match, right? So, um, it's going to be a great game to watch on Tuesday. Javi, finally on this match, River Plate, top of the group on 10 points. They're through to the round of 16 for the most part. It was a reserve 11. Any takeaways for River in this match? Well, it was very nice to see Arturo Mina on the pitch for once. <laughs> but again, like it was a reserve uh, River team. Uh, they still played some of interesting players. Like they actually, I think that Gallardo panicked a little bit uh, throughout the game because he actually got Alario in and some of his starters to get the result just after the penalty kick was called because like, he might have expected to get the result earlier, but um, but yeah, like River still a superior team. Like like I said, like Arturo Mina doesn't get too much playing time, uh, but but if he was on an Ecuadorian team, he will be a definitely sta- a starter for the team. So like that's the the quality difference between the two teams, right? So um, it, the research team still played a, a decent game, and I would say even that was superior to Emelec. So. Again, I guess it was a very good result. It's hard to fault River with the Super Classico this weekend. They still got a point out of this. They're still going to go through from this group. So all's well that ends well for Gallardo's side. Is there anybody else that wants to come in on this match? Uh, just a quick question for Javier, really, on what he thinks the future holds for Ayrton Preciado. Um, as he's a player who's impressed me in the Libertadores this year, and I saw see that he scored again tonight. Uh, it's an interesting question. Uh, actually, um, after we did the Libertadores preview, I was in a Twitter conversation about the young talent that MLEC and Barcelona holds, and which player will be interesting to watch throughout the Libertadores stage, the group stage. And I mentioned Ayrton Preciado, which is, if you analyze his performance from last year in Ecuador, he kind of benefited of being the sole offensive target man of a whole team. But he has adapted very well in, in Emelec, first as a left winger and now as a left wing back that is fairly offensive. And his flexi- tactical flexibility, his willingness to run, and his great timing in runs and finishes makes him very valuable to the team. So 
I haven't heard any rumors about him being targeted from uh, foreign countries uh, for international teams. But he's definitely getting some attention in Ecuador. He's definitely getting some attention from the national team. Uh, so his future looks very bright at this point. Cool. Uh, that's good to know. Like I say, he's, he's, he's really impressed me. Certainly seems very, um, very good at sort of cutting in and firing a shot sort of across goal into the, into the corner. He scored two very similar goals in the Libertadores already. Uh, one against River couple of weeks ago and against uh, Independiente Medellin as well a week before that yeah he, he just seems a really interesting player to me and uh, a player I'm looking forward to seeing more of in the coming months and years certainly sounds like the type of player that could fit in with that skill set in Brazil especially you know those wingers cutting inside for the shots a player like like Vitor Bueno at Santos or Jonathan Copechi players that we've seen with that sort of skill set who, who have had success could certainly be a move down the line for him there. Definitely. His strengths are mostly offensive, even though he has worked very hard to complement his offensive game with positive trackbacks and some tactical awareness uh, workouts. And besides, he works, he plays in front of Oscar Bawi, which is a tactical mastermind from the back. So that helps him a lot. So he needs to keep developing some key aspects of his game. But like, I don't, like you said, like, Cutting back, cutting in from the left towards his right foot. He's very good at it and he keeps exploding those opportunities. So he's doing very well right now. We will leave the Libertadores there for this week. We'll have a full Libertadores pod coming your way next week as we'll have a, a set of games that will run next week uh, and then the week after that as well. So full Libertadores pod coming next week, just the one match this week. We'll move to a different continental competition and this was the Emotional Hecopa uh, Sulamericana, which featured last year's Copa Libertadores winners, Atlético Nacional, and the team that was awarded last year's Copa Sulamericana or Sudamericana, should you choose to say it Spanish or Portuguese, explains the difference there. Uh, Chapecoense of Brazil. These two teams met in the first leg a couple weeks ago. Chapecoense were 2-1 winners in that match, but on the night tonight, it was all Atlético Nacional, a 4-1 win for the team from Medellín. Simon, I'll come to you. It's the type of result that we maybe expected a little bit earlier from Atlético Nacional. It does seem like they're getting in form and they are peaking. Is it a bit too late for their Libertadores hopes at this point? Well, I mean, it's going to be difficult because they're now dependent on other results elsewhere in the competition going their way, which when there's only two games to go, isn't a good situation. But that said, I think they're going to uh, pick up some positive results in the final games. And I think they will... Uh, put pressure on the the opposition, you know, the other teams in the group to to keep their good results up in in order to prevent them sneaking in in that second position. Uh, they've definitely improved a lot. Um, they made a few changes in, in the four positions. Some of the changes I'd recommended the front three they went for was uh, Daido Moreno through the middle with Andres Ibarguen, who was incredible tonight. Really, really good in the left wing. Very, very skillful. Very direct. Very pacey. And then Ali Rodriguez, who's uh, you know, a striker who's been second choice uh, backup for the last few years. He's actually the the brother of Angelo Rodriguez, who's one of the better players in the Columbia League, number nine at Tolima. Uh, but he played on the right uh, side of the front three. Um, and they brought in Aldo Leal Ramirez in the, the holder midfield role, who for me is a big, big upgrade on Alejandro Bernal. Bernal's been at Nacional for six or seven years as a 
as a squad player, he's very useful to bring on and he's a decent, solid all-round defensive player, but he doesn't have the distribution of someone like Aldo Leao Ramirez, who back in his days in Mexico was a, was a winger, was an attacking midfielder. So he's very, very competent on the ball. Uh, and and then with the formation that Nacional play, the defensive midfielders have a lot of responsibility to move the ball, can sometimes be isolated, as I've mentioned, with Henriquez and Najera dropping deep. So it's very, very important for Nacional to have someone in that midfield who can who can pick up the short passes from from the defensive, predominantly defensive partner at the holding midfield base. So in this case, Arias, and then link with the further forward attacking creative midfielders such as Ibarguin, such as Torres. So Aldo Real Ramirez is very, very good at that. And he really helps Nacional when he's in that position. So in this game, yeah, Nacional, I think Chapacuense set them set out to to stay solid, to stay tight and hope to hit Nacional on the break. After two minutes, that plan went out the window. Um, they went into the game with a 2-1 lead from the first leg in Brazil. Um, but uh, Daido Moreno scored very, very early, hit one low. Uh, Moraes uh, was beaten at the near post. It was a solid shot, but maybe could have done better. So that took away the Chepecoense advantage straight away. And the first half, they struggled to recover, really. Um, they didn't really convert the team quickly to a more attacking formation that would have been necessary uh, to to put themselves back in the game uh, and give themselves a chance of winning. So for the first half, Nacional looked very, very good, looked in control. Um, Moreno scored the first one after two minutes. Ibarguin got the second uh, in 30 minutes, um, which was a really, really nice goal. Uh, cushioned off perfectly by McNelly. McNelly was, had a lot of space in this game. And if McNelly has space, then there's always going to be trouble. And, and he was really dictating things um, in the attacking midfield, number 10 role. So he's, his cushion passed Ibarguin. Ibarguin opened up and pinned one into the top corner. Then in the second half, Chapecoense looked much better. The 4-1 scoreline really flatters Nacional a little bit. Uh, Enriquez did an amazing clear, clearance off the line, which was then tipped over by Armani. Um, the fullback, Jao Pedro, um, got forward really, really well for Chipacuense. He was beating uh, Diaz and Boca Negra, the, the fullbacks. He played both sides, I think, during the game um, with some real nice skill and some pace. So Chipacuense were dangerous, especially in the second half. Um, but everything kind of broke for Nacional, including the, the final goal, which Ibarguin deserved for his performance, but was a bit lucky. He basically slipped kicked the ball with his right foot into his left foot as he was falling and it scooped up over the goalkeeper's head from outside the box. So the 4-1 scoreline flatters Nacional, really. They were very dominant in the first half. Chepequency recovered well in the second and did get a consolation goal at the end. Um, but overall, yeah, much improved performance from Nacional. Uh, nice to win another trophy. Uh, it was a decent occasion. Um, the the Chapecoense staff were very well welcomed and the, the players were welcomed um, by the Nacional fans and the officials. Uh, it was a game conducted in, in a good manner. Uh, and in the end, Nacional, uh, another confidence-boosting win. Uh, they're looking very, very good in the league, um, very confident. They're a team that's settled into a nice rhythm. They're used to winning tight games. Uh, but unfortunately, they haven't shown that in the Libertadores so far, apart from the last game where... It looks like they are going to make a late charge to one of those uh, two qualifying spots in the in the group. So we'll have to see how that goes. But good night here in Medellin. Good win for the Nacional. Chepecoense can't be too disappointed. They were they were okay. The game plan went out the window early, uh, and and then you know Nacional really had the advantage from much of the much of the game. So yeah, enjoyable one. 
Simon, if Nacional do fail to get in that top two, reason would would stand to argue that they would finish in third, which this year for the first time would drop them into uh, the Sulamericana, the, the secondary domestic competition. You'd have to think that if they fell into that, they'd be one of the favorites in that competition the way that they're playing now, correct? Yeah, you would think so. As I say, they have a strong defense. They have, they're well-organized. They lacked a little bit of spontaneity and creativity in, a, in attack. Magnelli obviously can always pick those passes, but he needs those options. Ibarguin has put a very strong case to to be the best option on the left hand side. Uh, Arli or Mateo Oribe on the right would be would be strong as well. Dairo's starting to grow into that number nine role. Um, one of the issues with Dairo Moreno is I'm not quite sure what his best, best position is. You know, he came up as a winger played as a number 10, scored lots of goals in Mexico, but he's not a conventional pacey or powerful number nine. His movement isn't amazing uh, in the in the final third, but he's he's so dangerous with his shooting that you want him as close to goal as possible. So he's starting to find his position. Nacional, uh, in the co- domestic competitions in the Colombian League, have now got, again, as I say, a very dominant, so they can afford to, to rotate and to manage their squad to enable them to have a strong Sudamericana campaign, if that's what if that's what happens. So I definitely think that they would uh, be able to 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 manage the squad and to put out a strong team and, and compete on both the league and the Sudamericana if they were to make it into that competition. I said on last week's Libertadores pod that I still had Atlético Nacional getting out of that group ahead of Botafogo. I'm going to stand by that after this week's performance. I know they need some help, but I think they're going to be able to get it. Uh, we'll see if that comes to fruition in the end. As well tonight, we had some Copa Sulamericana action. Uh, perhaps the the biggest match of the evening was Corinthians away against uh, Universidad de Chile. Uh an impressive performance in some sense by Corinthians, who, who ran away with this one after having won the first leg in this tie as well. Adam, I know you watched this match. What did you make of Corinthians? Uh, and it's another continental competition disappointment in some sense, at least for a Chilean squad. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that over the two legs, Corinthians deserved their victory. But I think the scoreline was a little harsh on Universidad de Chile, who also played quite well in both matches, I thought. I think there was two big differences. The clinical finishing of, of Corinthians compared to um, a wasteful Lul side. And also the quality of the goalkeeping as well, because it was two very impressive performances from the Corinthians goalkeeper, Cassio. Um, he, was, he was amazing tonight, I thought. Pulled off two or three really world-class saves yeah I, th- I, th- I think you know at both ends of the pitch Corinthians were at a slightly higher level than their Chilean counterparts <laughs> the, the, the amusing thing about this was before the game the Lul manager compared Universidad de Chile to Liverpool in England which sparked a kind of a social media piss take in a festival in Chile as you can imagine uh, I think it, I think by doing by saying that he was maybe trying to invoke the spirit of Istanbul or something like that because Lou were two 0 down from from the first leg so this was always a uphill battle and they found themselves one 0 down at half time so at that point you know they're three 0 down on aggregate needing four goals to to win it so it was always quite an unlikely um, scenario of a comeback so maybe he was just referencing. 
Liverpool's famous comeback in the 2005 Champions League final. But unfortunately, much like the current Liverpool side, Lou can't defend at the moment. That, that proved to be one of the big differences in this match. There are some positives Lou can take. They're certainly a far better side than they were, or they have been really, over the last couple of years. I think if they had faced weaker opposition in his first round, I, th- I think they probably would have gone through. I, I, I think the draw was quite harsh on them to play such a such a strong team. Big clubs such as Corinthians in the first round did them no favours. A uh, quick word on the supporters tonight in, in uh, Le Stadio Nacional in, in Santiago. As they, as Lille fans, supported their team throughout the match in a pretty much packed stadium. You know, all hope was gone, really, after about half an hour. But for the last hour of the match, they, they were still supporting their team. It was great to see, I thought. A couple things from me in relation to that. Firstly, as you said, the draw, very harsh on both of these sides, really. Two of the bigger, better, more talented sides in this competition when you just look at some of the other teams that are in this competition, it certainly would have been more beneficial for either of these teams to have drawn somebody else. Uh, Palestino, another Chilean side that went through on penalties tonight against uh, Atletico Venezuela. You know, draw Venezuelan side is probably a different story for Lau. Um, and I did appreciate the fact that in true South American style, uh, Universidad de Chile, down on aggregate at the end, eating a boatload of goals, finish the match with nine players because it wouldn't be a South American two-legged knockout tie without some red cards at the end of a tie that's been decided, right? Yeah, <laughs> it, was a, it was a very petulant ending to the match, wasn't it? Um, although what I, what I would like to say is that I thought Corinthians time-wasting with six minutes to go and then again with three minutes to go when Lou had to score four goals to put them out. Was was probably some of the most pathetic time wasting that I've ever seen in my life. Can't be too safe. Can't be too safe, man. You never know. If they're gonna invoke the spirit of Istanbul. You just gotta make sure you see it out. Um, and, and people and people send me messages on Twitter saying, "Why don't you like Brazilian clubs?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm just gonna point them in direction of that game. I think from now on. Uh, I um, think you mentioned. Go ahead, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Palestino. Yeah, they came back from a one 0 deficit tonight to defeat Atletico Venezuela on penalties, as you mentioned. What I found interesting here was the timing of this second leg because the Copa Sudamericana this year has been <laughs> completely mental. Really, this first round where you had first legs back in February, and now we're playing the second legs here in May. You know, you've got two, three months between. Some of these matches, I think one, I think one match has almost four months between it. So, yeah, and that's made a big difference to this tie because Palestino were terrible back in February and March. They ended up sacking their manager, Nico Cordova, a manager I think is really talented and could still have a big future in the game. But nothing was going right for him at the start of 2017, and Palestino just had to get rid, or they might have found themselves in a relegation battle. But yeah. They've become much harder to beat of late under their new manager, um, Herman Cavalleri. I think Palestino, you know, they had a good run in this competition last year. They even knocked out Flamengo of Brazil. I feel like if they get the right side of the draw, they, they could they could have another crack at it this year as well. It'd be interesting to see what, what players they, they sign um, over the Chilean winter coming up here. 
Casio, a player for Corinthians that has always really been fascinating because as we saw tonight, when he's on his night, he's a very good goalkeeper, can make some fantastic saves. Um, you think back to the, the FIFA Club World Cup that Corinthians famously won against Chelsea on that night. He was great in that tournament. He was great. But he's also a goalkeeper that when he's not on his night can have some really just poor errors and can, and can cost his team a match. So he's always been a player that has fascinated me, uh, especially in relation to the Brazilian national team, because he certainly has the talent and the ability to get in that national team. Uh, but he's also probably not consistent enough to, to really be trusted as the number one goalkeeper. But a great night for him tonight. Uh, from what I saw, Rodriguinho for Corinthians, uh, he played really well in the past couple of weeks in the Paulistown State Finals against Ponche Preta. Did the same against uh, Lau tonight. So I think Corinthians are, are a squad that are trending up, despite maybe not being uh, among the more talented sides in Brazil. A couple other results from this Sulamericana. Um, a pair of Brazilian teams, Ponche Preta and Fluminense, are through from this opening round as well. Cruzeiro, a team that we'll talk about a little bit later when we get into the Brazilian t- uh, season preview, crashed out on penalties against Nacional of Paraguay. Still some, uh, plenty of ties still to go in this competition. Um, but I believe those are kind of the biggest name ties that we've yeah. seen so far. Well, Deportivo Cali of, of, uh, yeah. of Colombia made it through last night, no, Simon? Yeah, no, that was, uh, I was, I was going to mention as, you know, I think Deportivo Cali could be one of the stronger sides in the tournament. Uh, they're the one Colombian representative. Uh, that really is a top, top side. Obviously, Junior are now going to be in the tournament from the Libertadores as well. But a lot of the Colombian sides are, are less established. Uh, Rio Negro, Aguilas, uh, Patriotas. Uh, De- Deportivo, uh, Deportes Tolima are a little bit, little bit stronger. They're in a good position. But I think Deportivo Cali are definitely the strongest team. They've got some very good players. And they snuck through quite luckily last night. They went into the game with a 1-0 advantage. But Sportivo uh, Luqueño scored two goals uh, in the first half, uh, which to reverse the advantage. And then Deportivo Cali got a very lucky penalty. Uh, Fabian Samboesa did a dive where he his both his feet were up halfway up his back, and he was like a like a salmon leaping up a up a river. Um, and somehow the referee's given it. I mean, there may have been slight contact, but. The way he just threw his legs up over his head and leapt headfirst into the to the sky was a bit ridiculous. So Morillo um, put the penalty away, but yeah, I think Deportivo Cali have probably the strongest side uh, in the tournament from from a Colombian's perspective. Uh, Jefferson Duque up front, uh, Roa is a nice player. Abel Aguila, who's played a lot of time in Europe, Camilo Vargas, a Colombian national team player. You know, there's some quality. Uh, Juan Sebastian Quintero, uh, a defender, who's very interesting, young defender. Nicolas Bernadetti, another good playmaker. So there's lots and lots of quality in this Cali team. Um, they suffered from some poor Mario Jepez management last year, um, but they seem to be going in the right direction and uh, they've got a good squad. So they were very, very lucky to sneak through this tie, but I think they might be one of the teams to watch moving forward. Yeah, I remember them being Santa Fe esque in their in their pouring play last year. Yeah, they stay. I watched them play against Envigado, and this you know I'm never going to forget forgive Mario Jepes for this, but they scored at home against a team which, for an average age of 19, after 10 minutes and spent 60 minutes time wasting uh, defending. You know, in the first half <laughs> they were keeping the ball in the corner, and it was just depressing to watch. So I'm never going to 
you know, I've heard Mario Jeppo's being linked to big jobs in Argentina, and it's like, wow. He also wore like tracksuit pants, tracksuit trousers with pinstripes on. So there was all kind of crimes going on on and off the field uh, during the Mario <laughs> Jeppes management reign. Simon, you you described a, a questionable penalty in that match. So of course, my first instinct was to check who who was officiating that match, and I am proud to inform you that it was in fact a Brazilian official who gave a poor penalty. So we're continuing our uh, our poor reputation of being terrible of officials. So great job, Rafael Klaus. Keep the keep the streak going, man. It was the kind of dive where just you know if 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 someone on your team does that, you go. God, what he's doing? That's embarrassing. But hey, he's, he's got the penalty and he's he's got Cali out of jail because they were under a lot of pressure. They were, you know, lost their advantage, two 0 down away from home, and they get gifted one uh, through uh, some, you know, amateur dramatics uh, and a bit of poor Brazilian officiating. Did did we get a, a demonstrative a demonstrative point to the spot too? Like the official was totally all in <laughs> on this. Oh uh, yeah, exactly. Like everyone like, kind of looked at him and then oh, penalty. <laughs> Yeah, the kind of the slower one that builds to the crescendo. Yeah, man. South American <laughs> officials. Good. South American officials. Adam, you have something else you want to add on this? Yeah, Simon briefly touched on it there when he said, you know, Junior are going to be playing in the Copa Sudamericana, joining from the Libertadores. That was because they were one of the two best losers in the third phase of the qualifying round of the Libertadores, um, Junior and Olympia other two teams who will be playing in the Copa Sudamericana. And I don't think we've mentioned this yet on the Libertadores pod, or not much anyway, but it is worth pointing out again that the that the eight t- that the eight teams who finish in third place in, in each of their respective groups go into the Copa Sudamericana. So a bit how it, a bit right, so exactly how it works now in, in Europe with the Champions League sides going into the Europa League. It it did feel a bit a bit haphazard though that they had ten spots and so they needed to somehow find two other teams and so it was just randomly two of the playoff losers who had I guess it was the highest seeding coefficient got those two spots which felt pretty peak conmable like ah oh, we got to find two more teams playoff losers there we go but we can't take all of them only can take two of them I just felt that that was kind of bizarre the way that they came to the, the conclusion that those were the teams who would who would go into that competition yeah i think um with the with the sort of americana so far i've seen bits and pieces but i think the next round um where where we cut down half of these teams and bring in some of the libertadores teams i think it's going to really uh make the tournament much more interesting and much more exciting there's quite a few teams in this competition so far who i've basically never heard of so it'll be interesting to see you know get some of the stronger teams through from the initial groups add a few libertadores teams in uh, and get some of these big teams playing against each other and and some of these underdogs uh, you know who are doing doing well uh, to get thrown in the mix so i think the sort of americana should become more interesting for the next round and i'm you know looking forward to seeing how it goes boston river of uruguay and uh <laughs> hang on i just had for, another one that intrigued me petroledo Yasubia, Yakuiba, or Bolivia. A couple of well, like Fuerza Amarilla, strong right. yellow. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, if if we're getting teams of this competition that we on this podcast haven't heard of, then you know we're digging deep into the teams around South America, right? <laughs> I've, I've heard of them all. I've heard of them all. I've, I've lived here enough years now to 
to pick up on these names. I've I've also played enough football manager over the years to come across <laughs> these names as well. <laughs> and in regards of Fuerza Amarilla, it's just a shame that like some players that played for Fuerza Amarilla last year got sold to bigger teams. So like Fuerza Amarilla was actually a very, very good team last year, right? And he they just like lost a few players. Like they will be more memorable now if they had like the strength they had last season. Oh, okay. Well, Adam, you, you can't be that familiar with Rio Negro Aguilas. They've only existed for about a year. Come on. A few years now. I was going to mention, I was going to ask you if they had gone under another name previously. <laughs> yeah, they, they were Itagui. They were Rio Negro de Pereira, Aguilas de Pereira. Yeah, they've been about five different names. Well, um, within, within reason. Uh, I've heard. <laughs> I, I once wanted to do a feature. I'll probably do it at some point for, for the WFI website on, on kind of these funny funny sounding names shall we say uh, and, Comerciantes uh, Unidos yeah and the origins <laughs> of them um, as some of them are quite interesting yeah you've already mentioned a couple of them here Boston River for example yeah. <laughs> that sounds yeah. fascinating one <laughs> uh, one final thing on the Sulamericana here that Fuerza Amaria tie against O'Higgins is one the first leg took place on February 28th the second leg will take place on May 31st. That's what I was saying. That's what I was yeah. saying, man. There's, there's another one with, uh, I think, it was played in early, uh, late February. Yeah, 28th of February. Yeah, it's the Boston River. <laughs> it's the Boston River tie. June 1st, it, second leg. Yeah, second leg. <laughs> four months. See, I, I, knew, I knew there was one. Sure. Thanks, Conmobile. Uh, but that'll close up our continental section of this week's pod. We'll move into a look at some of the leagues uh, that the panel covers. And we'll start in a league that has uh, gained a bit of a reputation for its its parody. Um, some overseas coverage of the Chilean League, Adam, about how close it is. Currently first to 11th in the Chilean League, separated by just seven points. Colo Colo are in first on 25, Universidad de Chile right behind them on 24 points. Uh, take us through what's been happening over the past couple weeks in this league. I believe two matches left in the season uh, and who you think will come out as title winners here. It's been a crazy title race. It's not the first time there's been a kind of a situation like this, but it's, it's kind of the first time it's been picked up, picked up on outside of Chile really. So yeah, the Daily Mirror in England ran a story last week calling it the most exciting title race in history with uh, with 12 teams mathematically in with a shout of winning it still um, with three games to go. But reality now with two games to go is that really it's probably only between two sides and they are the two biggest sides in Chile and that's uh, Colo Colo and Universidad de Chile. So um, if Colo Colo win their final two matches, which on paper they should do, as they're at home to Antofagasta and away to Cobresal, who could be relegated by the time that match comes around, then they will seal their 32nd Chilean title, I believe it is. So their dominance con- will continue. If they do slip up, then you've got to fancy that Universidad de Chile will take advantage of that situation and maybe claim the title themselves. What I will, what I will want to point out here is that in the last minute of injury time, 
in a big match against Everton at the weekend. Everton currently in ninth, but if I had beaten Colo Colo, which looked possible at one point during that match um, at the weekend, they, they would have very much put themselves in this title race. But instead, the match in the Everton equalised in the in the in the last minute of um, normal time, and then Colo Colo hit back in the last minute of injury time and grabbed a winner, and that and that late winner put Colo Colo one point ahead of Universidad de Chile with those two games to go. So it's in their hands, like I say. At the other end of the table, Cobresal, two years after winning the title. They are now probably heading to Primera B, unless they win their last two matches. Their, their match this weekend is against the only side who could also go down, and that's Santiago Wanderers. That match this weekend also looks huge and, uh, and one to look out for. All right, thank you very much for that, Adam. It's always interesting to see a league like that in Chile with such a short season, those 15 matches. It's more of a sprint than anything. Uh, so it does sound like it'll be an exciting finish, uh, even if Colo Colo are the favorites to take it. Indeed, indeed. Um, so, Austin, the Brazilian league starts this weekend. We finally gone, um, did away with the state championships last weekend. Um, we've had some Copa do Brasil action um, during the week. But, yeah, the, uh, the, the, league, the proper league season kicks off this weekend. Who, who do you fancy? First of all, for the title, do you, do you think that your team, Palmeiras, could defend their title? Or do you think the Libertadores might prove too big of a distraction? Well, I, I would like to preface all of this by saying that I find the Brazilian League very difficult to predict. Uh, this is the third year that I've really been very invested in it. Um, I've not come really even close on any of my predictions over those two years, so... I'm not going to pretend to be some sort of expert. I watch a lot of Brazilian football, uh, but it's a hard league to peg. I don't favor Palmeiras because of the issue that you brought up with the Copa Libertadores. I think that's going to be a big factor for both Palmeiras and Flamengo, who I think appear to be among the favorites uh, to take the title. I have a full article that'll go up on the website. It'll probably be up on the WFI website by the time this podcast releases. So check all of that out for the very detailed predictions that I have for this year's uh, Brasile Down. Um, but I do think Palmeiras and Flamengo will get caught up in the Libertadores. I think that competition is the priority for both of those sides. I think there is squad depth in both of those teams that they can make a good run in the league. But I think it will prove to be a bit too much to try to juggle both of those competitions, especially given that Libertadores now stretches all the way through the whole calendar year. Uh, whereas it used to just be until the middle of July. So that was really only you know six to ten matches into the Brazilian calendar, maybe a bit more. Um, but now it's going to affect, I think, a bigger portion of the season where there will be more times when teams are fielding reserve 11s to, to save that best 11 for the Libertadores. So I have Palmeiras and Flamengo in my top three. Uh, Palmeiras in third, Flamengo in second. Uh, we'll get to Vinicius Jr., one of the more intriguing names in Brazil, uh, the 16-year-old who Real Madrid uh, are rumored to have offered 45 million euros for in a second. I'm picking Cruzeiro to win this year's Brasile Down. Uh, I feel a little less confident about it after they crashed out of the Sul Americana tonight. 
But if my whole shtick here is that I'm taking, I want to take a team that's not going to be distracted by another competition, uh, that's better for them because it's going to be their number one focus. And now it has to be their number one focus. Uh, the Copa do Brazil is not going to be enough to really distract them. It, and that calendar has shifted a little bit too, that that won't take up as much of the year. I love the attacking talent that Cruzeiro has. Uh, Ramon Abila, the Argentine forward, has been on very good form. Rafael Sobis, who came down from Tigres in Mexico. It took him a little while when he came in at the middle of last year to find his rhythm. He had some moments where he didn't seem to be on form, but I think he's grown into that role a lot better. Um, so I think Sobis is, is a big name for them. Giarascaeta, the Uruguayan midfielder, is a player that I've liked for a couple of years now. Get it, starting to get into the Uruguay squad. I think he's growing into the number 10 role for Cruzeiro. I think he can pull the strings very well. I like this defense more than some people might. Uh, Luis Caicedo, the Ecuadorian who came over from Independiente del Valle, is a good piece in defense. They've had a couple center backs go through some injury issues, uh, Dede and Manuel. I think they're getting back to healthy. Their number one goalkeeper, Fabio, is back healthy. So they'll have a number of options at goalkeeper now between him and Rafael, who has been filling in. Uh, and just there's more midfield talent than, than there has been in years past. Uh, Thiago Nevis is a very talented player who was playing in the Middle East and then came to Cruzeiro at the start of this year. Hudson came over from Sao Paulo. I like this Cruzeiro side. Uh, I'm a bit bullish on them. I think most people would have them around mid-table. But I think it's going to be key for them that they don't have that distraction of the Copa Libertadores. Uh, whereas all of the other favorites really do. Uh, if you look at the teams that would be pegged to win this title, Palmeiras, Flamengo, Santos, Gremio, Atletico Mineiro, every single one of them has that Copa Libertadores. They may not all advance a long way in it, but I think it will have an effect. And I think it will definitely have an effect on the two most talented teams in Flamengo and Palmeiras. That's why I'm taking Cruzeiro. I don't feel great about it. I can talk myself into it, and I can maybe talk you into it. It's a hard league to predict. 38 matches over six and a half months is, is very difficult. But Cruzeiro is the team that I'm taking, uh, and I look forward to their eventual eighth-place finish uh, as they finish in the mid-table when it gets to that point. On the other end of the table, as far as the teams that I think will get relegated this year, for all that is weird about Brazilian football with the state leagues, uh, with everything else. It's actually a very straightforward league structure, which is not often the case in South America. Uh, we've talked before about Colombia's relegation table, um, the split seasons in some countries. In Brazil, it's straightforward. 38 matches, 20 teams. Bottom four are relegated. Top six go to the Copa Libertadores with the new expansion. The relegation battle, a couple of easy teams for me. Uh, Atletico Goianiense and Avaí, two teams that just came up from the second division. I don't think there's a lot there for either of these squads. I don't think either of them will stay up. A team that I think some might find surprising that I think will go down is Ponte Preta. They actually had a very good state league in the Palace Town. Uh, they knocked out both Palmeiras and Santos on their way to the final. Uh, and then Corinthians beat them 3-0 at home. Ponte Preta, though, are losing their best goal scorer, William Potsker. He's off to Internacional, who are in the second division for the first time in their storied history. Uh, but they are making incredibly sure that they're coming out of that. A very, very talented international side. 
that I think will be very interesting to watch in the Copa do Brasil as well, because I think they're going to really try to make a run at that competition. But Ponte lose their best goal scorer. I don't think they're all that strong to begin with. They weren't great during the group stage of the Palestown. So I think they're going down. Uh, and the, the fourth team is Vasco da Gama, which is the perfect symbol of the yo-yo culture some Brazilian teams have gone through. Vasco have alternated first and second division seasons for a few years now. I think they're going to do the same. Um, I know they're a bigger side, and I think they're more talented than some of the teams that I project will stay up. But they're old. They're really, really old. Luis Fabiano is 36. He's their number one striker. Nene is a great number 10, but he's 35. Uh, Rodrigo, Rafael Marquez, uh, Dos Santos, the Paraguayan, their goalkeeper, Martin Silva, Andre Zinho. All of those players are over the age of 30. I think they're going to break down over 38 matches. And it just kind of feels like destiny. This is, this is some of a, somewhat of a gut call for me. Uh, but I do think Vasco will go down. I think Kodachiba will continue their run of tormenting me in this competition by playing horrendous football, but somehow staying in the first division. It's absurd. Brazil is a league in which teams fluctuate up, down, up, down. Uh, but Kodachiba have stayed in the first division for six years, and they finished in the top half once. If you look at their last four seasons, they're literally mirror images of each other. They don't score, they don't concede, and they stay up. And I think they're going to do that again. Uh, the Libertadores, for me, I already mentioned my top three. Cruzeiro, one. Flamengo, two. Palmeiras, three. I think Gremio, Atlético Mineiro, and then Fluminense will be the other three Libertadores teams. Gremio have a lot of attacking talent. It's a team we've talked about a lot in the Libertadores podcast. Atlético Mineiro has the attacking talent to make a run at the actual league title, but they can't defend well enough. Their center backs have been an issue. I don't trust them enough to make a real run at the title. I think they'll score at a great rate, uh, but I think that's going to be the issue. The consistency issue is the, is the same with Gremio as well, even though I like a lot of that squad. And Fluminense are my final Libertadores team. Generally, that last Libertadores spot in Brazil gets up for grabs and, and someone kind of sneaks in. I like this Fluminense squad. Uh, Gustavo Scarpa, I think, is one of the best players in Brazil that doesn't get the publicity as some of the other better young players. He's a great number 10, a great facilitator. Uh, the two Ecuadorians, Oruela and Junior Sornosa, excuse me, have done well in the Carioca for Fluminense. So I think they'll, they'll get that last Libertadores spot. That leaves Santos just outside. Again, a lot of talent, but it just feels like something's missing from this Santos side for me. Uh, Corinthians are a team that I think is going to do a lot better than their talent might dictate. Uh, Fabio Carile, their manager, has done very well organizing that defense, organizing that squad. So I think Corinthians will be outside of the Libertadores, but they will certainly uh, account for themselves well. One more team that I would like to mention here uh, is Sao Paulo. They, of course, hired Rogério Ceni, their former legendary goalkeeper, as their manager. Next year, I think, will be the year that Sao Paulo will look to make a big run at it. Hopefully for Ceni and the rest of his coaching staff, um, they stay away from a relegation battle and he keeps his job and is able to see this squad into next year. Christian Cueva, the Peruvian, has, has been phenomenal for Sao Paulo and Lucas Prato, the Argentine who was previously at Atletico Mineiro, has certainly shown well, uh, in his brief stint with Sao Paulo. So if they can stay mid table, I, I think that's a team that, that could certainly be dangerous going into next year. Okay, Austin. Um, yeah, that's, that all sounds, um, fascinating. It's going to be an interesting campaign as ever. 
but for those for those of us who may dip in and out of the Brazilian league, is there any players we should be looking out for over the coming year? Yeah, I think the number one player on everybody's mind is a 16-year-old that has yet to make his professional debut. Uh, Vinicius Jr., who was very impressive at the under-17 World Cup for the Brazilian side, has played well for Flamengo's under-20 youth team. He's been in the news this week uh, because Real Madrid have reportedly agreed to pay upwards of 45 million euros for him when he turns 18, which will be right after the 2018 World Cup, right around there. He'll turn 18 and they would actually be able to move to Real Madrid, but it looks like they're trying to seal an agreement with him before that uh, and then have him play at Flamengo until then and then move on. He's a fantastic talent. Again, he's just 16, so there's still a long way to go. For Vinicius, but I'm very intrigued to see when he makes his Flamengo full team debut. Uh, the fans are clamoring for him now. He's that type of player. He has that type of buzz around him. Uh, he practiced with the first team for Flamengo this week. It does appear that it's a, a sooner rather than later that he will make his full professional debut. Some talks that it could be in the second leg of their Copa do Brasil tie against Atletico Goianiense. That's in the coming weeks. But it certainly seems like by the end of the year, he will be playing a role for Flamengo. And that's going to be really, really interesting. Uh, he's the type of player who is probably not good enough to swing a championship yet in either the Brasileirão or the Libertadores. But he can certainly contribute for Flamengo on the wings, a position that they could certainly use a little bit of help in. So it'll be very, very interesting to watch him. Uh, he's the type of player that will be fun to watch play in Brazil before going overseas to at least what right now appears to be a very successful European career. So he's certainly one to keep an eye on. There's a lot of talented players. Duduit Palmeiras is a player that has grown in the in the couple of years he's spent with Verdão, uh, is a player who can get into the Brazilian national team side. Luan, a young player at Grêmio, is one that we've talked about for a couple of years now. Uh, he was impressive at the Olympics for Brazil. His impression Libertadores, it's a matter of time probably before he heads off to Europe as well. A player I touched on earlier, Gustavo Scarpa, is a really great number 10 for Fluminense, who I like. There's not a ton of really talented young players. Um, there's no Gabriel Jesus. There's no Gabby goal. I think there's a lot of very solid players in the Brasileirão this year. But outside of, of Vinicius Jr. and Luan, there's really not anybody who will really make a huge splash move over to Europe. You know, there's some players who could obviously move to lesser leagues in Europe. But there's not a game-changing talent outside of Vinicius Jr. and, and maybe Luan for me. Uh, there's some fun players in the Brasileirão. You know, a lot of number 10s. Simon, this, this would be a great league for you. A lot of number 10s. We get a lot of space to work. Uh, fullbacks bomb forward at a lot of occasions. Diego Sosa at Sport is one of my favorite players in the Brasileirão. Uh, he's kind of grown into a club idol there. Sport's a really fun team. I think they're going to be mid-table, but they score a lot. They play exciting matches. They have a great stadium. Uh, they're in the Nordeste of Brazil, which is an area that doesn't have a lot of first division football. So if you're looking for kind of a, a hipster team, if you will, to follow, I would highly recommend Sport. Diego Sosa's fun. They score a lot. Andre, a player who was at Sporting in Portugal, is there. Um, 
a fun team to follow. They have a 40-year-old goalkeeper. They're in a long-standing dispute with Flamengo over the 1987 Brazilian Championship, which is just fantastic because it makes both it makes fans of both those sides angry, and that's always fun. So just a fun team to watch. Uh, it will be an interesting competition. There are always great matches. There are always bad matches too. Uh, but I guess that's the fun of following a competition like this. Uh, that I describe in my preview column that'll go up here soon on the WFI site as uh, the fastest run marathon in football. 38 matches over six and a half months. It really does get compressed on it and it squeezes together and it rewards teams who are deep and, and who can consistently play well and play through, you know, losing a couple of players to, to injury and to suspension as the year goes on. I seem to kind of recall like, this time last year, so before the Brazilian league got away, um, got underway, that Gabriel uh, Jesus, you know, didn't, you know, his reputation, it's fair to say, was probably lower than that of Gabi got, for yes. example. Yes. And then sort of through the course of the year, it became clearer and clearer that Gabriel uh, Jesus was kind of the, the biggest talent possibly on the continent. And he's proven at Manchester City, you know, he's ready to go straight into Europe and, and play a key role in a very good side. You know, we could be maybe in for another surprise this year. We could. Uh, I think Vinicius Jr. is going to get be the player who gets the headlines, especially with a deal already in place for him to move. Really, regardless of what he does at Flamengo, he's still so young. There's still so much potential that you could see a lot for him. But yeah, we could certainly see, you know, a player who maybe is still even in a youth squad at one of these teams come up and hit the ground running in the Brazilian down and impress. So yeah, we could certainly see another player of lesser statue now than Gabriel Jesus was that could come in and impress us and be whisked away to Europe before we even recognize it really. Okay, so now we uh, we finish up with, uh, with a look at another really exciting league in South America. And that's the Ecuadorian League. Javier, Independiente de Valle, the Futura Campeón de Ecuador. <laughs> by, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite uh, slogans of, um, of all time. They are looking like potential champions, is it fair to say? But they lead the way at, at this stage. Well, actually at this point, the top of the table is Delphine de Manta with 27 points, then Independiente with 26, and then Emelec with 24, with one game in hand. Now, this season has been fantastic in Ecuador. and extremely fun, uh, extremely exciting. So, the structure of the Ecuadorian League is divided in two rounds, right? So, it's a first, every team plays against every team over two rounds, two different rounds, and the winner of each round plays the final, right? So right now we're in the middle of the first round. So we're 13, 13 games in. And so the league started with a very heated battle between Delfin de Manta and Universidad Católica. What was fun about that is that those two teams play with opposing styles. Delfin is a very compact and vertical team that was built in, true, in a true grit and grind spirit. Right, they're very physical, very intense to play, and they grind out the results. Right, whereas Catolica is a very offensive team in which, like the fullbacks, play like offensive midfielders. The central midfielders are obsessed with possession and like pretty passes and through balls is 
very nice to see them play, and the wingers contribute with the verticality and the audacity of the offensive system. And the, the striker is John Jairo Cifuentes, which is a top scorer for the Ecuador. So the beginning of the league was very interesting to see these two teams battle for the top. Then, a few weeks back, Católica started dropping points, but Emelec kept winning their games that were postponed because of the Libertadores commitments, right? And despite everyone waiting for them to drop points, they didn't. They kept winning. So three weeks back, Emelec and Delfin, because of how the structure of the fixtures are, like, actually work, they played twice against each other, Emelec and Delfin, while they were top, the top two teams on the table. And it was amazing. Like, even if you had great expectations of the games, they actually live up to the expectation. So the first game, it was a crazy game of that that ended up three uh, three three in a tie, in which they were tied two two until the end of the game, and almost in the eighth minute, MLX scored a go ahead goal, which which obviously felt that they were like taking over the table and winning the game. But uh, like in the 90, 92nd minute. Delphine tied in a set piece, which was a definite heartbreaker. But it was a very intense, fantastic game. And the next week, Emelec and Delphine played again, which also ended in a tie. It was a less exciting game, still was a 1v1 game, uh, in which Emelec was ahead for most of the game, and Delphine tied right at the end in another set goal. Now, but it's, it's interesting because... These two teams, Emelec and Delfin, are still the two undefeated teams in the tournament. They're performing very well. And Emelec is still playing Libertadores and still being able to perform in the in the Ecuadorian League. Emelec still has one game in hand. And if they actually win that game, they will tie Delfin at the top of the table. This is where it gets interesting, right? Because Barcelona has like it, it wouldn't it would be unfair not to mention that Barcelona, which is the WFI's sweetheart and favorite Copa Libertadores team. Um, <laughs> I, I, I sense a little bit of bitterness, uh, Javier, in your voice. <laughs> <laughs> no bitterness. I'm just highlighting a fact that it's, it's WFI's sweetheart team. That's all I'm saying. But, um, well, they have been focusing on Copa Libertadores and they've been doing fantastic in Libertadores. Uh, even if I say fantastic, that's an understatement that They've been doing very, very good. And um, so right now, they are they have one uh, one game in hand and just six points out of the top of the table. So now that they're, they're actually qualified to the second round of the Libertadores, um, they might be focusing more and more in the in the tournament, which is going to put even more pressure in the top of the table. So with Independiente del Valle finding its form and actually finding the right the striking partnership and offensive system they were they've been looking for because they've been pretty solid in the back and their midfield has a very very nice flow of game but they've been like changing uh players and the strategies of how to attack even the the, the current like and they cortez meets missed some time for injury and cortez was the main part of their attacking strategy for this season right so that cannot deviate them from their plan a little bit at this point, with Barcelona putting more pressure on the top, the, this first one is going to get even more entertaining, right? Because you still expect Delphine to drop some points, but we've been expecting that, that throughout the whole season so far, 
and they haven't dropped any points, right? Like they keep fighting. They're still on top of the table and it's, it's bound to get even better. Like this is, is looking up to be very entertaining in the Aquarium. Maybe you can tell the listeners a little bit about the team who is actually at the top of the league, Delphin, because they're probably a team not many listeners have, have heard of. Team based on the, on the coast there in, in Manta. What can you tell us about them? Oh, definitely. Actually, Delphine is my, well, I'm, I, I'll call it, I'm an MLEG fan, but, um, but I really, really enjoy watching Delphine play because of their style. Like, five of the players top, are in the top 10 of interceptions in the league. Like, they play a very intense and physical defense style, but they're still very compact and very, right? So, for example, their, their, their center back pair of Silva and Chancellor, are very great, uh, are very good in, in the air. And even their, like, Chancellor's performance in Delphine granted him to be called up to the Venezuelan national team, right? So he's played that good, right? So what's interesting in Delphine is that, so, so the center backs defend in a very compact way. The full backs are also very narrow in how they defend. And the central midfielders as well will provide support to the back. The midfielders, Jacob Murillo and Henry Pata, that play left midfielder and right midfielder, they're very vertical on how they play. And they have a very difficult role because they need to support and cover a lot of ground while defending and while running forward. And they've been doing very good. Like Jacob Murillo, it's, it's the owner of set pieces. He kicks all of them and he does it very good. And that's a very important part of Delphine's style of play because Scoring set pieces it's, has been key for them throughout the season. Like they tied against Emelec because of their set piece strength, right? So that's been very important. And their two strikers, which are Roberto Latuca Ordoñez, which is one of the most impressively, he's one of the physically most dominant players I've ever seen, right? He's extremely strong. You will never want to crash against him or tackle him. Like, you will actually get hurt. He's that strong, right? And he plays next to Carlos Garces, which it's been very good. Like both of them right now have five and four goal scores scored throughout the season. And they've been very good. And that, like I said, like Delfin is a very defensive uh, team. So they most of the time have to deal with the ball and create opportunities by themselves, right? Or hold the ball while uh, he, they let Murillo and Pata to run forward and start creating with them. So Delphine is it's a very defensive team, and they've been finding chances to ways to score and very, being very clinical because they don't get a lot. Now, the player that I'm not mentioning that I need to mention is Pedro Ortiz, which is the goalkeeper. He's the last line of defense, and he's been great. And he's actually at one of the revelations of the tournament because he wasn't very... Popular before this season, given how great Delphine is forming uh, this year, he's been, been he's been noticed, and hopefully at some point of the uh, of this South American players will get called up for a national team. I think he's that good, and he deserves a chance. The club itself is is quite young. I see hasn't even been going thirty years yet, and from looking at their history, you know they seem a little bit up and down. And as recently as 2013, they were in the third tier in Ecuador. So this is quite this is quite the story, no? Absolutely. That's why I I, I keep saying like 
people are expecting for them to drop points and they're not doing it. They're not dropping points. So we'll see how they how how it goes because it uh, it's very it's gonna be very difficult to keep this up. And especially again, like with Independiente getting their rhythm, Emelec getting finding efficient ways to use their for the information and finding ways to score goals and solve their defensive issues. And with Barcelona getting its focus back into the league, like it's gonna get even like harder and tougher to for them to keep up. So we'll see, but it's definitely a very interesting story. And actually, they have this young great player called Jordan Sierra that impressed a lot of people in the under 20 tournament for the national team. And he doesn't like he doesn't even get that much playing time, right? So he's one of the key of the key cards that the team has under its sleeve in case they need to find a new groove or a new or a new way to create opportunities. So like they even have choices, right? So I'm very intrigued and interested in seeing how this season develops because it, it's looking very, very exciting. Yeah, it, it, it certainly does. Maybe they will they will do a Leicester. <laughs> it's at this point it's looking very good. Uh, we'll see how how they do it. Okay, guys, I, th- I think we can wrap it up there. Before you go, is there anything you want to plug? First of all, Simon, I know that there's definitely something you 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 will want to plug. A fantastic pod that you did earlier this week. Uh, yeah, sure. I, I imagine a lot of people may have come across it. It's uh, on the Pod Football Index feed. Um, I spent the afternoon and evening with the La del Centenario, which is a, a barra with a supporters group from Independiente Medellin. Um, we we went to the game. We we had before. I spoke to some of the fans. We did a we did a full interview as well with Jonathan Mort, one of the founders of the group. So if you're interested in finding out a bit about uh, what's going on inside that that sea of of chaos at the the end of the the stadium when you're watching the Libertadores? Um, I think it's quite a good insight. Um, Dave, the one of the contributors on this podcast and the editor, did an excellent job in bringing it together. So I think it really gives you a good flavour uh, of some of the culture and also some of the sounds. You know, some of the the stadium sound is edited in. So yeah, I think it's a it's a fun listen, um, and I think you should learn a lot of, about the. The goings on in the the barras uh, some, about some of the the culture surrounding that, some of the preparation for match days. So yeah, give it a listen. It should be on the World Football Index feed, or you can check it out on my uh, on my Twitter, which is at Simon Edwards SAF. So yeah, come follow, and uh, yeah, check check that podcast out. Indeed, definitely give it a listen. Austin, where can people find your famous or infamous? preview of the brazilian league did did you finally write it i did finally write it it's been submitted uh it should be up on the website by the time this podcast goes out to the listeners i'm on twitter at austin underscore james 906 you can find that preview on the world football index website be sure to bookmark it so you can come back to it in december uh, and we can have a laugh at how wrong i was i'm fully expectant of that uh, so have no fear. Poke a little fun at me. No problem. Uh, but yeah, at Austin underscore James 906 on Twitter for all of the latest of what I'm up to uh, and plenty of Brazilian and South American football news there. And finally, Javier, where can people find you and do you have anything to plug? Well, uh, you can people can find me at, in Twitter at, at ZAVXAV. And like I at the beginning, um, 
I've been sick the last couple of weeks, so I uh, haven't been doing much recently, but that's about to change, so yeah, I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, keep an eye on his Twitter feed for the latest from Javier. Yeah, I've been your joint host along with Austin tonight. You can find me um, at Canija Scores on, on Twitter. Yeah, I'll just finish up by saying um, a big thanks to all our listeners for, for tuning in once again. Hope to hear again from you soon. <laughs>